in your Bibles, if you would, to the book of Titus, Titus chapter 1. Over the next nine weeks, we will be in the book of Titus. If you are, it's your first time here, first time in a long time, we typically try to study through books of the Bible, try not to skip the bat this day, but my Father's Day and Mother's Day will be in this book for the coming nine weeks. Today, we're going to do an overview. As we try to do each time we start a new series, we try to do a little overview. But I want to start on verses one through four. We're going to pause there for a good while. We'll have a little break, a time of prayer and a song, and then we'll finish the rest of the study. But there's something beautiful in these first four verses. So if you would, look at these verses here in Titus 1. One through four. Before we read those verses, let me ask you a question. Can you think of a statement that someone told you that changed how you saw things? Just all of a sudden, just like the the light went on, and all of a sudden it made sense. Could be something simple. Could be something big. We we see this in movies and in books where all of a sudden the main character finds out a nugget of information, and all of a sudden everything becomes clear. Has there been something like that for you? Where all of a sudden, just great clarity. I remember back when I was in college, in my junior year, Rebecca and I had just started dating. We were trying to figure out what's going to be, what my life's going to be like. What am I going to believe? What am I going to do? I remember having a conversation with my dad, and uh, for the first time, I don't know, something I've probably heard a thousand times that just had never caught it. But my dad had talked to me, said, son, you have to follow the Lord. You have to make mistakes and learn. You have to obey. Even if it means that you may disagree with us on a few small things. This faith has to be yours the first time in my life. So for those of you who don't know, I grew up as a pastor's kid. I was in church all the time. All my answers were given to me by my mom and dad. The way we do church is this way for this reason. And then anybody else that does it the other way, well, they're just wrong, right? It's like cheering. It's like cheering for Ohio State. It's just, it's a poor choice. So growing up, just all my answers were given to me. But I remember all of a sudden, it just, it just clicked. And I'm sure my youth pastor said this. Other people said it to me before. Your faith has to be your own. But for the first time in my life, it was my own. It's my junior year of college. I was 21 years old. The Bible became mine. My faith became mine. And it's like, this is how I have to now live. This is me. I can't ride on the coattails of mom and dad anymore. I have to be have to be a man of God in order to be a faithful husband and a faithful father to be a Christian and all of a sudden just clicked so has there been a statement like that in your life where the switch just went on and it, and it helped push you to bigger and better things at the beginning of our text today I think Paul gives Titus one of these statements to push him on to further the work of Christ that will encourage him in the face of opposition, a statement that will help him rise to the challenge in front of him. What is it? Let's look at this here in Titus 1, 1 through 4. 
Paul, a servant of God and apostle of Jesus Christ, for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth, which accords with godliness in hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, promised before the ages began. And that proper time manifested in his word through the preaching with which I have been entrusted by the command of God our Savior. To Titus, my true child and a common faith, grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. Let me point out a few things here in these first short four verses here. First, we have the what. Oh, sorry, we have the, sorry, who. We'll get to the what later. Who, who is Paul writing to? The letter is for who. It is for Titus. That makes sense. How do you know it's for Titus? Well, in your Bible, it should say Titus at the top. That helps narrow it down. But if you want a few more clues to help you out, verse number four, to Titus, my true child in the common faith, grace and peace from God the Father, Christ Jesus the Lord. Well, who's Titus? Do you, you remember the old Sunday school lesson about Titus, don't you? Well, who's Titus? Is he just another Joe? Like, what, what's he do? What's he done? You know, sometimes we think in our Bible characters, when we get to the New Testament, there's Jesus, there's Paul, there's Peter, there's a few ladies that were around the cross or at the tomb, and then we're not sure if there's anybody else besides those few. Titus is a major player, just as Timothy was, in the establishment of the early church, because you, as we heard from our scripture reading in 2 Corinthians, Paul counted on Titus to impact change in the church of Corinth. In Galatians 2, Titus was a traveling companion with Paul. In 2 Timothy, Titus was sent by Paul to ancient Dalmatia, or modern-day Croatia. His name is used in the New Testament 13 times. 13 times. And here in this letter, we'll see in verse number 5 that he has been sent to the island of Crete, which is beautiful if you've never been there. I encourage you to go. He's to plant churches and appoint elders to multiple pastors in every church on the island of Crete. Now, this is not like the island of Guam, where we were at, which was eight miles wide at its widest and 28 miles long at its longest. I, the island of Crete is 3,200 square miles. Get churches going in every city. There are at least, historically, we know of at this time, at least around 30 ancient cities, if not more. Get churches going in every city and appoint pastors, plural, in every single one of those churches. Let me know when you're done. I mean, this is the task that's before Titus. It's a ginormous task. This is who Paul is writing to. When he writes to him, he says, My true child in the common faith, it seems from all accounts that this is something that he has led to the Lord along the way. So that is who Paul is writing to. Why is Paul, though, serving the Lord? So next, why? Why is Paul serving the Lord? Paul gives us the purpose of his ministry in verse number one. Paul, verse one, a servant of God, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Well, we know that, Paul. We know you're apostle. We know you're servant. But for what purpose? Paul tells you the purpose for why he serves Jesus in verse number one. For the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth, which accords with godliness. Why is he serving Jesus? For the sake of the faith of God's elect. Paul's serving specifically for the purpose of growing the faith of Christians. Their faith and their knowledge of the truth. This is helpful for us to hear that faith, what is faith? Faith is believing without seeing. What is knowledge for us, right? That's seeing and knowing. Two plus two, four. 
that faith and facts actually go together. One pastor agreed when he said, far from being incompatible, faith and knowledge or faith and reason belong together. It is those who know God's name who put their trust in him. Their knowledge of God's name or his revealed character is the foundation of their faith in him. They trust him because they know that he is trustworthy. Well, how do you know that God is trustworthy? We see this in verse 2, along with the focus of these four verses. Look at verse 2, in hope of eternal life. Which God, who never lies, promised before the ages began. And now we have the what? Our next point here. What does Paul want Timothy, Titus to know? Sorry, what does Paul want Titus to know? Verse 2, in hope of eternal life, which God who never lies promised before the ages began. What will encourage him? What will press him on amidst the struggles he's going to face in appointing elders in each of these churches when he faces opposition, as we'll see in one of these paragraphs? What's going to push him on? That there is hope in eternal life. We have hope in eternal life. So work now, for we have hope. We have hope that we will have Christ for all eternity. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. There's hope for the Christian. This sounds sounds fantastic. But on what basis, Paul? On what basis should we believe that there is eternal life for Christians. What is it? You got, what kind of knowledge do you have for me to mingle with my faith? Well, let me give you a couple points, Paul says. First off, he says in this verse, in hope of eternal life, which God, what's the next phrase? Who never lies. So, truth bomb. Hashtag fact check. No Pinocchios. God never lies. Let me repeat that because I heard somebody faintly acknowledge that. God never lies. Amen. He cannot lie. He will not lie. Hebrews 6, 18. It is impossible for God to to lie. Numbers 23, 19, God is not man that he should lie, or son of man that he should change his mind. God cannot lie, so when we read, whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life, take it to the bank. God cannot lie. What he says he will do, he will do. That's the reason, a reason you can trust God. That when he says you have hope, Christian, in eternal life, because I cannot lie, Jesus said, when Jesus said, destroy this temple in three days, I will rise it up. He didn't lie. He rose from the dead. Come come to me, Jesus said. Come to me, all you who are labor and heavy laden, and I will give you rest, Christian. He didn't lie. I am going to prepare a place for you. Not a lie. Where I am, there you will be also. He didn't lie. Whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Not a lie. He would not lose anything that the Father had given. He will raise us up on the last day. Not a lie. And Jesus said, everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life. It's not a lie. These things are all true. 
we have hope in eternal life. God doesn't lie. Want another reason? To put your hope in eternal life? Want another reason to trust this awesome God? He gives us another one in verse number two. God promised your eternal life. He says, before the ages began. Look at verse two. In the hope of eternal life, which God never lies, promised before the ages began. Before he said, let there be light. He promised pure, eternal inheritance. Christian, before the sight of the first sunrise, before the first smell of the ocean breeze, before the first sound of a chirping bird, he called your name and proclaimed, you are mine. This God, who cannot lie, called your name before he said, let there be light. He said, you are mine. Can you hear his name? Hear your name on his lips? Michael. Bob, Fred, George, Alice, Gertrude. Go down and list. He called you by name. by name he never lies he will keep his word this omniscient omniscient omnipotent omnipresent God spoke your name and brought light out of darkness before he even created it similarly Paul said in Ephesians 1 3 through 4 look at this verse here I have it on the screen so you have to turn blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ amen and he continues, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. We all come with the same backpack. You know Jesus. You have the same. The person next to you that's known Jesus longer, they don't have a different Jesus. They're the same. We all come with the same back. He's blessed us with all spiritual blessings in the heavenly places. Verse 4, even as he chose us in him. The Father chose us in Christ when? Before the foundation of the world. When? And then you have the what and the why. Why? That we should be holy and blameless. Before him in love. He called you by name. He has chosen you. This is not a, well, this sounds a little bit like this kind of, kind of just slipping over here, Pastor, on this, you know, there's Arminism counters and all the stuff that kind of goes on. It kind of sounds like, you know what it sounds like? It sounds like the Bible. That's what it sounds like. And it sounds like you ought to just wrap up in that warm blanket and stop fretting and trust that this is good news. That a holy God would dare breathe the name of a person he knows would spurn him and go away from him time after time after time after time after time. And yet he says, I'll still love you and I will make you mine. It will cost me dearly. It will cost my son. I know all of this before I said, let there be light. And I have no hesitation. You are mine. This is wonderful news to hear. Christian, hope. Hope in eternal life. 
promised to you by a God who cannot lie, who spoke this promise before the ages began. Live. Don't just revel in it today. Live in that hope. May it change the way you walk, the way you talk, the way you think, the way you act, the vocation you choose, the amount of hours that you work or don't work. My hope is not on this planet. This world is not our home. We're just passing through, but it seems like some of us have laid down roots here. We are pilgrims, sojourners, aliens in this foreign land. We're not home yet. Put your hope in the eternal life that we get to spend. Not that there's streets paved with gold. Who cares? You hear me looking at the streets of gold when the sovereign Lord, the one that died for you, is standing in front of you. You're like, oh, look, gold. While his hands are stretched out, nail pierced hands, he's looking at you. Come to me. Eternal rest is yours. Where's my mansion? Really? Give me Jesus. All of Jesus. And let me say break the clock, remove time. Let me stay there. That's my hope. That's yours. We have hope in eternal life. This is the push. This is the exhortation of Titus. Titus, our hope is not here. Our hope is in the one that called us by name before the ages began, and he cannot lie. Praise God. Praise God that he cannot lie. Place your hope there. As our music team comes up, let me encourage you, live today as if you're fighting a battle that's already been won. Live today in such a way that no matter what comes your way, you will trust God and overcome. Do you know what God is doing right now in your life? We often don't. We may not know what he's doing now, but do you know what he has done? Based on his character and what he's done, based on his promise of what he will do, trust this God. We're fighting a battle that he's already, already won. We know how the story ends. The old Southern Gospel song, I read the back of the book. Let me know how I ended this. I read the back of the book, and we win. We know how the story ends. We will be with God again. He is our Savior and our defense, so there's no more fear in life or death. We're going to sing that right now. We're going to sing this song, and if, if you know it, if you happen to stalk my Facebook page and see the song, you're welcome to join with us. But I want you to sit and listen and worship. We're going to spend a time of prayer after that. We'll finish the overview of the text. But think through, man, the promise that we have in God, the promise that he's given us eternal life, based on the character of who he is and what he has done, the hope that we have for us is certain. It's guaranteed. So we'll sing the song.
praise God. Do it as families. If you got brother, sister, if you have your family here, pray with them. Let the little ones pray. Thank you, Jesus, for what you've done. Thank you for the hope that we have eternal life. If you're here by yourself, brother, sister, grab somebody next to you. If you would be friendly, you see somebody in your row that doesn't have anybody with you, let them pray with you. Pray together. Jesus, thank you for what you've done. I'll come up, I'll pray. We'll finish our study, but think through. We know what he's done. We know what he's promised. We're fighting a battle. It's already been won. That pastor's conference we just heard, one of the pastors said, the only sin a Christian can strive to conquer is a forgiving sin. Our battle, it's already been won. It's already been won. So by God's grace, may we live in that victory. Take time. Just praise him. Thank him for winning the battle. Let's do that right now. already been won by you. May you help us, Lord, by your mercy and your grace. Would you help us to live in victory today? May we claim the victory that's already been won based on your character, based on a God who can never lie. Would you help us to live with the hope that we have in eternal life that we can be with you, that we will be with God eternally. Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We'll continue our study. Look at the next section here of Titus. Again, it's not normal. It's not something we do typically. I thought it just fit so perfect. And I love music. Such a good tune. The rest of the book here I'd like to do is give you three statements. Three statements. I promise we'll be short. We'll try to go fast. Three statements that summarize the thought flow of this book. Then at the end, I'll give you one sentence summary of the book. So three statements to help you understand the thought flow of the book of Titus. And then we'll try to summarize the main idea 
of Titus in the end. So first, we see the first slide here, for the sake of the faith of the elect. So this, we just saw this, right? So this, this is why Paul is serving. He's going to get Timothy, Titus sorry, to try to do the same thing. For the sake of the faith of the elect, Paul is planting him in verse number five, planting Titus in Crete to plant churches that have elders, pastors, plural, in each church. Which leads us to the next section, one, five through nine. Appoint godly men. For the sake of the faith of the elect, appoint godly men. Look at verse five. This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. Paul described what elders should look like. We'll see this similar, it's going to be very similar to 1 Timothy 3, which we covered at the end of last year. But there will be people that are teaching the wrong thing. As Titus, sorry, as Timothy had to face this in 1 Timothy 1 and 2, Titus will face the same here. There are false teachers. There's people spewing out things that aren't true. And what he's talking about, how do you handle these false teachers? And he says in our very next slide, in 1 Timothy 16, rebuke those leading others astray. In one night, a faithful elder will rebuke those teaching false doctrine. In one eleven, he tells him to silence those that are teaching incorrect things in your church. Do not let them. Do not give them room. Don't hand that person a microphone if they're not going to be teaching things that accord with godliness. So we have first statement here, first chapter. For the sake of the faith of the elect, appoint godly men to lead and rebuke those leading others astray. Chapter 1. Got it? Our next section here, look at our next slide, 2, 1 through 3, 7. First, teach your people to do good works. Teach your people to do good works. Look at 2 Timothy 2, 1. But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Well, what is sound doctrine? Well, it's Christology and theology and anthropology and hermarchiology. It's all the ologies. It's funny because he doesn't mention any of those terms after this. What is sound doctrine? Now, should you know some of these things. Should you know who God the Father is, who the Son is, who the Spirit is, what man is, what sin is? Should we know these things? Absolutely. But if it just stays in your noodle, if it just stays in your noggin up here, and never impacts the way you walk and talk, guess what Paul says? You don't have sound doctrine. If what you believe is not impacting the way, the what you say you believe, I should say, it's not impacting the way you walk and talk. You, you don't believe it. You don't truly have good doctrine. It's going to impact your practicals. Look at 2.1. So teach sound doctrine. Put remain to order. Right? Look at uh, what's the first thing he says. Who's his first target for sound doctrine? Older men. Now who's older? Typically men don't have more than 129th birthday. So what, what age will we say? So let's just say, let's say fellas really old, like me, 40 and up, okay? For my teenagers, for teenagers and for my, my kids, I'm, I'm a dinosaur. So 40 and up. Let's say, you, let's say you land here. What does he say for older men? What sound doctrine should he be teaching? Well, what should they be doing? Know who God is. Know who we are, understand what Jesus has done, but this shot to impact the way you live. Specifically, you see in 2, 2 through 10, he's going to tell older men that they ought to live self-controlled, worthy respect, sound in faith, filled with love and endurance. Now, if I ask you, describe to me an older man in your church, any church, just ask Christians, is this the description you're going to hear? When you think of an older person in the church, an older man, sometimes it's like this crotchety old grump 
who's judgmental about everything going on. But if you've been seasoned with the salt of grace, something ought to be different. So you're not going to be angry. You're not going to be quick to anger, old person, old man. Because you're patient like your Savior. You're going to be filled with love. You're going to be self-controlled. You're going to be worthy of respect. That's what he's telling us. Is that you? 40 plus year old. Does this fit the bill of that? Now before our older ladies that have celebrated more than one 29th birthday get a smile, you're next. Because he's coming after older men, let's come down, older women. So we see this in 2, 3 through 5. Again, these, this is sound doctrine. Sound doctrine. Older ladies, you are to actively teach the younger women here to do good works. Actively teach. You're to actively train them. Teach and train. They're both used in this. Is this you? Do we just have a bunch of our old gals hanging out with a bunch of old gals? Or do we have a bunch of our older ladies splitting up and going, I'm headhunting the younger generation. I've had my time with fellowship for the last 40, 50, 60 years. I'm going to make sure I'm obeying scripture. I'm going after. Like, well, I, you know, I can't drive. I can't do this. Can you, can you teach and train in your home? Invite them over. As long as I've known my wife, it'll be 19 years that we married this June. She's craved, craved this text. And every time we've been to church, there's been at least one, but she probably wishes it was 50 women that would pour time in her. You, I'm going to teach you, I'm going to train you how to do this. It's not an easy task. My wife, she had to do something at her work for an afternoon. She's going to be gone, afternoon and night. And we had to sit down and have a planning schedule so I could get my children through the day alive. And by God's grace, I did it. But sweet mercy. Let me tell you, I'm thankful I'm not a mother. I can barely keep my own. St- I don't even know what I'm doing here at church, let alone at home. Come on. They got kids running around. And get, just go to your places. Everybody be there. Come back and then let's be happy. Older women, you've been there. You've done this. Maybe you blew it. Maybe you succeeded. Teach and train. This is the active, active verb. When do you get to hang that one up? When do you get to say, I'm done? When Jesus takes you home, you still have breath. You can impact lives. Actively teach and train. Not just your family. This is speaking about your church. Who are you impacting here? Older generation. Younger men, well, younger women, you're going to see in here lessons not specifically at you, but what your home should look like and what you should aspire to be as far as being a woman that's training and teaching other women to do the same. Younger men in 2, 6 through 8, 
are to be models for good works. And finally, bond servants of two nights to ten. This is sound doctrine. Teach and train your people. Do good works. Do good works. Let's see next. In 2.11 through 15, Titus says, teach his people to be zealous for good works. Look at 2.14. We see that Jesus died for us and gave himself, 2.14, for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Jesus redeemed us from all sin to purify us. What should be the result of Jesus saving us and purifying us? What should be the result of that? We are to be zealous, passionate for good works. Christian, does this sound like you? If you've been redeemed, you'll be about the Lord's business. And we can move on to 3, 1 through 7, where we'll see the last part of the current statement here. We are to be ready for every good work, because God saved us by his mercy and grace. Look at 3, 1. Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready from every good work. Dick, well, let me, hey, time out here. Doesn't this kind of sound like, we keep talking about good work, good work, good work. Does this sound like we're, we're earning our salvation? Like, if I just do enough stuff, I can ascend into heaven. Who can ascend into heaven? What good work can you do to wipe out the bad? So, for the person that's the rapist, that's the convict in jail, how many good works does he have to do to wipe out his ledger before a holy God? You want to hear something really unfortunate? Is that a holy God sees all sin? Like the lie you told, the thing you stole, the lustful thought. He sees all sin equal. What will you do? What amount of money, what amount of good works could you do to make God turn a blind eye to sin? Like, well, if it's not a good work, then how do we get saved? Glad you asked. Look at 3.5. He saved us not because of our works done by us in righteousness. Jesus didn't save you because you walked 20 old ladies across the street. He didn't save you because you helped your neighbor pick up the sticks in their yard. There's nothing good you can. He didn't save you because you came to church. Right? We mentioned before, coming to church doesn't make you a Christian anymore than pulling into a, car, a garage makes you a car. Just because you show up doesn't mean you're a Christian. Just because you read your Bible does not mean you're a Christian. You're not saved because it's something good you do. Well, then how do I get saved? Listen to the God who cannot lie. What does he tell you? In 3.5, we're not saved by the works we've done, our own righteousness, but according to his own, what's the next word? Mercy. His own mercy. Mercy is God keeping from you what you do deserve. There are times, mom and dad, where you decide there's punishment that should be due to my kid because they did A, B, or C, but this time I'm going to show mercy. I'm not going to hand that out. You understand this? There's mercy. He extends this mercy to you. 
Why? I'm not saved by my good works. I'm saved by his mercy. But I thought it's mercy and grace. It is. Keep reading. By his own mercy, by the washing of the regeneration, this renewing power, the renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Christ Jesus, our Savior. So that being justified, what does justified mean? It means being made right, that you could stand before a judge, you could hear all the evidence that says, I declare you innocent. Being justified, being made right by Jesus, we're justified by his, what's the next word? By his grace. By his grace. We might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. What's that hope take us back to? Verse number one, what pushes Timothy on? The hope of eternal life. Friend, do you have that? Do you have the hope of eternal life? Are you counting on your own good works to get to heaven? Do you honestly think we could stand before the holy God and say, and he says, why should I let you in? You're like, bro, don't you remember? I mean, I was really good. Look at all I did. You may hear these, this phrase, depart from me, you worker of iniquity. I never knew you. Well, how could it be work of iniquity? Did you receive my free gift of grace and mercy that's found in my son? For God so loved the world. Why would Jesus give his son if you could save yourself? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. The wages, the payment that we deserve, the payment of our sin, the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Did you, did you spurn my Jesus? I thought I could do it by myself. Wrong answer. I sent him for you. But I like doing stuff by myself. This one you can't do. That's why Jesus says we have to come humbly like a child, recognize I can't do it. There's some cupboards I can't get in. There's some things my hands can't reach. I can't get to heaven by myself. No, you can't. But by his mercy, God keeping from, from you what you deserve, and his grace, God giving to you what you do not. His mercy, right, he withholds his judgment with the one hand, and he gives to you with the other eternal life. But more than eternal life, he gives you himself. You become, as it says, an heir in air. You ever dreamed about having your name get tied in with a millionaire, a billionaire that died after their death by accident? Now, my last name's Gates. I'm pretty sure I'm related to Bill. Maybe he'll put my name down there on accident. Little lawyer typo. More than being related to Elon Musk or Jeff Bezos, this inheritance is far greater. You become an heir with Christ. It is not your own works. So Titus, teach your people to do good works, to be zealous for good works, and to be ready for every good work. Why? Because God has saved us by his mercy and grace. Lastly, Paul wraps this up in 3, 8 through 15. So based on God's work, train your people to be fruitful for every good work. Look at 3, 8. This saying is trustworthy, going back to what we just read in 3, 5 through 7. And I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. Look at verse 14. Let our people learn to devote themselves to good works so as to help cases of urgent need and not be unfruitful. Christian, does that sound like you? 
you're devoted, you're zealous for good works, you're plugged into your church, you're helping church. This is what Paul's writing. Instill this in the churches. How would you summarize this book? Let me give you a statement I think that helps us think through this book. You see in our next slide here. Because of the work of our good shepherd, produce godly shepherds and godly sheep. So because of what Jesus has done, our good shepherd, produce, means our church should be producing pastors, elders. Not just bringing them in from other places. We've got to be looking in here and saying, God can do this work here. Here in Lexington. We've got to be producing godly men to lead our church. Producing godly shepherds and we've got to be producing godly sheep. All of this is based on what? The work of the good shepherd. So because of his work, because of his work, Titus, because of all that Jesus has done, produce godly shepherds, those that will teach sound doctrine, that will live sound doctrine, and produce godly sheep, those that will do good works, be zealous for good works, be devoted to good works, and be ready for every good work. This is the book of Titus. We'll be walking through this again. Next week we'll be in Mother's Day. We'll hit Ruth, but we'll come back to Titus after that. This will be over the next nine weeks where we'll, our study will be going. So what does all this mean for us today? First off, friends, do you have the hope of eternal life? Do you have the hope of eternal life? The bad news is that we're all sinners and have messed up. The good news is that Jesus died for our sins. He can redeem us and purify us. In Titus 2.11, Paul wrote, The grace of God has appeared. His grace, right? God giving to you what you don't, what you don't deserve has appeared, been revealed, bringing salvation for all people. And you're like, well, how do I know if Jesus called my name before the ages began? I'll give you a good clue on how you know that. Say yes. Say yes. Father, I have sinned. What did the thief on the cross cry out? We heard a couple weeks ago, Jesus, remember me. Call out to him, whosoever calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. Friend, will you call to him today? If you have questions how to do that, see myself, see Christian friend you came with, we'd love to talk you through how you can know him. Second, for all those that claim to, to be Christian, to know Jesus as your Savior, Christian, are you living in the hope of eternal life? Do others see the hope that you live with in the chaotic times of your life, chaotic times of work, the upheaval that's gone on over the last couple of years? Do people see you living out that eternal hope? We're fighting a battle. He's already won. So may God, by his grace and mercy, help us live today in victory. Second, for those over 40, do these descriptions in 2, 1 through 10, do these describe you? You're not an old grump trying to pick at everything that goes away, yelling, get off my yard. You're the one that's so sweet because you've been seasoned by the grace of God. People want to be around you. They talk about you. Say, man, I want to be around that person. They've just been marinating in the grace of Christ for a second. And it just like emanates, just, just shoots out of them. 
This is how it should be. Senior saints, show us how to finish this race. The church is not looking to a 40-plus-year-old pastor. They're looking at you. I'm looking at you. Show me how to finish this race. Show us how to live well. Show us how to die well. Show us how to impact the next generation. Show us how to never quit. Show us the path that we are to follow. May we keep our eyes on you as your eyes are fixed on Christ. Show us the way to go. Christian, lastly, does your life look like one that is zealous for good works? Ready for good works? Devoted to good works? What are you doing here for Jesus at Lexington Baptist Church? He redeemed you and purified you so that you would actually do good works. Good works will not save you. But if you know him, you will be doing it. Because faith without works is, what did James tell us? Faith without works is dead. So get plugged in. Let's curb in. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that you'd help us. Help me. Lord, to live in the hope that we have in eternal life. Would you help those that are here that may not know you, Lord, to come to know you as their Savior today, that by the, they would understand that the grace of God has appeared. It came to us through Jesus Christ, bringing salvation to all people. Lord, help them to come to know you today. For those that are our senior saints, those that are the leaders in our church, Lord, help them to never quit. Help them to use their retirement well. That they'd be pouring into the lives of others, investing into the lives of others. Instead of retiring in a life of ease with no impact. Lord, would you help us, Lord, to be zealous for good works. Help us to be passionate about serving you, knowing that our home is not here. It is in heaven. In Jesus' name we pray.